Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster and today I was lucky enough to speak with Michelle Sillier, the author of Bigfoot in Maine. Now the dark woods of Maine have been setting for many eerie and unexplained events, none more captivating than the sightings of a giant hominid we like to call Bigfoot. But what makes this corner of New England such a perfect place for this cryptid to live? Learn about the ecology and geography that support the legend and meet the people forever changed by close encounters with it. From previously unpublished eyewitness accounts to modern day media portrayals, author and illustrator Michelle Sillier presents this detailed history of the phenomenon and folklore that has lurked in the shadows for generations. Michelle is an author and artist who lives in Portland, Maine, where she graduated from the Maine College of Art. She owns the Green Hand Bookshop, where you can find her most of the time. Her home is shared with her husband, Tristan Gallagher, and their two cats, Meep and Mr. Biscuits. Her work, both written and drawn, is driven by curiosity and inspired by Maine history, the Maine landscape, and how we respond to it. Her work as editor of the Strange Maine Gazette and his companion blog gave rise to her first book, which was published in 2010, Strange Maine, True Tales from the Pine Tree State. Since that time, she has been working on Bigfoot in Maine wherever she can, traveling around the state and interviewing eyewitnesses for this book. You can buy her books from her at greenhandbookshop.com. Michelle, thanks for joining me. I'm happy to be here. Great, and we have something pretty exciting to talk about. I've talked about ghosts and all kinds of things before. Um, that's more towards Halloween when I talk about this. I've, I don't think I've really ever got to talk about Bigfoot before, and let alone in a whole state, and I'm pretty excited to talk with you about it. Um, it's really cool, but one of the first things I gathered from the book is not about cryptozoology or Bigfoot himself or herself, but a greater love you have, the love you have for the state of Maine. Um, oh, tell absolutely. Us, yeah, it's a beautiful state, you know, and I've, I've visited Maine before and loved it, loved the Rocky Coast, you know, loved the nature there, just the trees. I mean, you can get lost in just the natural beauty of the place. Uh, Bowden College, wow, what a cool place to visit too. Uh, the history there uh, alone is incredible. Um, but... Tell us why you love your state so deeply. Where did the love of, before we talk about your interest in Bigfoot, where did your love for your state begin? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's, in a way, it's difficult to talk about because it just feels natural. Um, I, <laughs> uh, Maine is, I've, my dad was from Maine originally, um, although I was born down the coast in, uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, so I will never be considered a legitimate Mainer <laughs> because of that, so it's, it's kind of ironic, but I, I love Maine. It's, it's a very independent place. It is, in my experience, a very friendly place for the most part, although sometimes taciturn. Um <laughs> And just the variety of landscapes in Maine is phenomenal. And I think most of the population uh, is near where I live, which is in southern Maine. I live in mm -hmm. Portland. Um, and I think that most of the people in southern Maine don't realize how different northern Maine is. And 
I feel really lucky because my husband is from Aroostook County. Um, he was born up in Presque Isle. And so visiting my in-laws with him gave me an opportunity to see a lot more of Maine, like going, you know, from down south all the way five hours up into the into the northern <laughs> Maine areas, you know. Um, so I feel really lucky that I've been able to gain that perspective. And the more I've explored, I have other friends who are Maine guides, and they've taken me into the logging roads, into the Golden Road area, which is a vastly different landscape. Um, so I feel very lucky to have as my, you know, kind of chosen occupation beyond my workaday occupation, uh, the ability to explore a state that has so much variety in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel in, in South Carolina, I've always felt lucky, you know, being from Georgia, I always felt lucky because you can be at, especially here in South Carolina, you can be at the beach and three hours later, you're in the mountains. But it's even yeah, yeah, exactly. closer in Maine. But then if you're heading up to northern Maine, it, the roads aren't as easy to traverse as the roads in South Carolina. But it's even more rewarding getting to the back country. I mean, we call it the back country here, up country in South Carolina. But it's but it's unbelievable landscape there and the trees and everything. You have such a beautiful state, Michelle. It's incredible. I, I, it really I, I know is. why you love it. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you this, and this is, um, you know, something that I don't think I've talked about before on the podcast. There was a time when I was growing up, my mom and dad, I guess I was maybe in seventh grade, they were thinking about moving to Maine and oh. they decided to go up and they're like, you know, we're going to go up, at, you know, after it snows so we can get the full brunt of it. And they were up there for a week and they were in the antique business at the time too. And oh, so they geez. were like, you know, we're going to do a buying trip, you know, while we're up there. I'm like, you know, in the middle of winter, I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Even, even in seventh grade, I was like, no, that's not too smart, but whatever. So um, they go up there and they come back and I see them. I was like, so, because I didn't really want to move because all my friends, you know, were in Georgia. I'm in right. not really wanting to, you know, go from Georgia all the way up to Maine. No. And I was like, <laughs> so I sarcastically asked you know, because I'm a smart Alex seventh grader. So when were we moving? And they had just, you know, had their first taste of a Maine winter, which turned out to be their only case because they, or taste, because they said, we're not. So I was like, all right. But we yeah, love going up there in summer. Summer is completely right, different. Right, right. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the things that Maine has going for it because it's such a great place, but the winter is, can be very brutal. And I mean, even in Portland, people feel like it's brutal. But if you go up north, it is far worse. And so I kind of feel like that kind of serves as a gatekeeper mm -hmm. <laughs> because not everybody wants to do that trade off. Yeah. Although, like, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? I think I might try it. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's such a, uh, I keep going back to it. It is incredible. The last time, you know, we were, we we did two big swings through the north and man just i keep going back to that rocky coast just so pretty and unbelievable yeah. I, I just i got to i, I want to take my family up there um my wife and my little boy when he gets a little bit older to experience uh just you know if, if even if it's just for a few days if we do a road trip again to experience that it was insane and i did 
that first time I was there, I did the whole tourist thing and I did blow a lot of money on lobsters. <laughs> I ate one. I was like, bring me another one. And so it was so good. Um, but yeah, so, but let's get back to what we are here to talk about. And that is Bigfoot. And you make a case for why Bigfoot would live in Maine. And we're going to get to that in a second. But first, what got you interested in Bigfoot? Where did the idea to start researching Bigfoot? Where did he first enter your mind or she enter your mind? Are there, are there multiple sexes of Bigfoot? Do we know that? How would we know that? What got you interested in it? <laughs> um, well, honestly, uh, which is appropriate for, you know, publishing with the history press, uh, main history is, uh, kind of my entry point. And, uh, you know, on top of the fact that, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I was always reading books about unexplained mysteries, this and that. Um, I wasn't a huge Bigfoot fan uh, as a kid. It didn't it didn't grab me the way the Loch Ness monster did at that point. Um, but doing research and looking into it, I was surprised to find out that there were historic Bigfoot accounts in Maine because you don't associate Bigfoot with Maine. You associate Bigfoot with the Pacific Northwest, you know, California, Washington State, all of those places. And so that intrigued me. And then finding out that there were people who were reporting current encounters made me really interested because I just thought I was going to come up with a few things that were, you know, curious parallels in, you know, old, old newspaper articles and stuff like that. And uh, when I started interviewing eyewitnesses, that's when things really changed. Um, you know, I was, I'm well aware of, you know, Bigfoot lore and, you know, mystery primate lore throughout the world because um, I'm good friends with Lauren Coleman. He opened his International Cryptozoology Museum to the public while sharing space with my shop. So, so we had a good, you know, kind of hand-in-hand um thing going on for a while there while he was getting his feet on the ground and re- really establishing a solid base for his museum. Um, and so a lot of people came in and, you know, we, it, and originally Bigfoot in Maine was going to be co-written with Lauren. Um, so I was going to handle the historic end and he was going to do, you know, more of the current stuff and, and some of the cultural stuff. And between the two of us, we were going to hash it out. But when I wound up doing it myself, that's when I really started to get into the nitty gritty and realized that there's a whole swath of Maine Bigfoot lore that just isn't talked about um, because, like I said before, Mainers are fairly taciturn. They're not going to put themselves in a position of being ridiculed because they know (laughs) that happens. Um, And a lot of the eyewitnesses I spoke to Um, are willing to speak at this point in their life because they've been around for, you know, several decades. They're not worried as much about what people think about them. They know what they experienced, and they're generally hoping that them talking about their encounters openly will help other people who are finding themselves in a position of having had inexplicable encounters but having nobody to talk to about it and feeling like they're alone, wondering if they're crazy, you know, it's, there's a lot of baggage that (laughs) unfortunately that comes with having an encounter like this where you just, you know, you've seen something 
you clearly, you know, you clearly saw something and it doesn't fit any of the large mammals that Maine is associated with. So what do you do with that information? What do you do with that experience, which in many cases completely changes your viewpoint of life on Earth? Yeah. So that's what really got me going. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of, you know, you brought up something that I was going to ask you about because what's it, when you're talking to somebody, you can kind of, have you learned to talk to people for a while? And there's, you know, in my past life, there was different jobs I've had and, you know, some, what I have a master's degree in, because I do have a master's degree in counseling, you kind of can kind of learn when people are, for lack of a better term, BSing you. And when somebody's telling you a story and you don't know if it's what they saw is, you know, what you would call a Bigfoot or something like that, but you know that they did see something or they have experienced something, but you can't maybe say for sure what they experienced, but they experienced something because they'll get a glaze in their eyes. They'll get a look in their eye and you know that it's, they're, they're reliving it when you're telling them or they're telling you that story. Um, and you did mention in the book, but some, sometimes they would get upset with you because they felt like you were forcing them or making them relive it. Um, yeah. It's not always a comfortable conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it? What, I mean, what was it like for you hearing those stories? Did it make you, I guess, nervous or scared? And did it make you feel if you were going, I guess, later on in the woods or in a different area, uh-huh. make you feel like, well, what's going to, you know, could I see this? Could something happen to me here? It's, um, I mean, it was, I think, like, I tend to try to prepare and inform myself for anything I'm going to encounter ahead of time Yeah. Um, if I'm going into a new situation. And so I think it made me more, more cognizant of the fact that I couldn't necessarily predict what I was going to encounter. Um, I don't... I wouldn't say that it made me more scared, but it made me more respectful, I think, of what I might encounter. And, and not even just Bigfoot, but also black bear. Yeah. Because the more I talk to people about black bear in the process, because that seemed logically to me to be the best analog for uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch in Maine, um, was that while black bears do behave in a certain way most of the time, there are other times where they don't, um, because I first went into it thinking, you know, black bears generally try to avoid human contact. They're not generally aggressive. The worst time is when they're coming out of their den period in, you know, March and April when they're really, really hungry and there aren't enough food sources around. But, you know, talking with my friend who was a main guide when we were out in the woods, he was like, you know, do you have your bear spray? Do you have, I was like, I don't. And he's like, okay, well, just be careful because, you know, and, and I would talk to him about things that people had told me about their experiences and, you know, trying to figure out by, you know, process of elimination, whether this could be a bear, whether it had to be a Bigfoot because a bear would never behave that way and found out that, you know, he told me that he had seen black bear stalk people Mm. in the woods before so you know so those you know the encounters where people are being followed by something it there is always a chance that it is actually an aggressive or overly curious black bear so you know so so it definitely gave me a 
serious amount of respect for encountering large animals in the main woods and uh, really upped my interest in knowing where I was at any given moment, how to navigate out of it, and what to do if I encountered something unexpected. <laughs> so, which is not to say that, like, you know, there isn't a certain amount of losing sleep over what would you do if you encountered Bigfoot in the main woods. I definitely spent many nights kind of going over in my head what, like, how would I react just to kind of test the waters. Yeah. Because that's better than just, like, encountering something and reacting in a panic. You know, I feel like if I've gone through some of the scenarios first, then maybe I won't have such an unpredictable reaction when it, you know, if something like that happens. So it's, it's been, it's, you know, it's, it's far more than just writing about this pop culture phenomena of people being aware of and interested in Bigfoot. It's, it goes for me, it's, it's gone far deeper than that. And it's been a very interesting process and I'm still processing it. Like I'm not, I'm not done yet. I guess is what I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> there sounds... will probably be a volume two at some point, and I hope to spend a lot more time in the woods checking things out. So. It almost sounds like you could almost use it in a way of how there's, you know, some communities that use, you know, uh, I know we had one here in this, in our our area where there's a zombie preparedness unit in yeah. case there's ever yeah. a zombie outbreak, which we know would happen. Well, who knows? <laughs> Nowadays, it could happen. Um, but uh, they use that to show like what to do in an actual emergency. So, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like you've used this to think about like, hey, what do I do in case, you know, something would happen that, you know, wouldn't be a Bigfoot. And it sounds, I mean, it doesn't sound like you have done that. So yeah. that's very cool. But and it kind of sounds like you're kind of answering the question that I had Next, coming up next, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, so, is there a certain story from an eyewitness you've heard that has stuck in your head that kind of like haunts you, stays with you? Uh, um, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I would say uh, one of the ones that gives me the most pause is uh, one of the recent accounts in the book which had three eyewitnesses and I talked to all three of them individually. And and because, you know, if one person sees it, you know, you accept their story and you listen to their story and you're interested in it, Mm -hmm. but you always have to, if you're looking at it objectively, you always kind of have to have, you know, an openness also to maybe it was a misidentification. Maybe it was this, maybe it was that. But when you've talked to three people that were there at the same time and all saw something remarkable that can't be explained any other way, then you really, it you know, it gives you shivers. Yeah. You know, to as you talk to each person and you hear the story, you know, slightly different because, you know, they're all standing at a slightly different angle and all, you know, with a lot going on at once, all of them noticing slightly different things, but all you know, a collaborative story between the three of them definitely sourced in the same incident. Um, That really gave me pause and, you know, surprised me. And I was also really glad for, you know, the eyewitness who had the other two people with him that were willing to talk to me 
because a lot of times I've gotten stories from people who had other people with them and they're now out of contact or gone or yeah. don't want to talk about it. And so it was a really unique uh, and exciting confluence of events, <laughs> yeah. you know. So so that I think that one, you know, kind of had the heaviest ramifications Um and then there's also another story and there's another account in the book, which was the the really peculiar one from Northport uh, that just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that one was a real, I don't, I still don't know what to think of that one. Yeah. So. And we'll let people, um, we wanted people to buy the book, obviously, so we can't give everything away. But we might right. give one story away with this next question that I have for you. Now, um, you do mention in the book that in Native American tradition, there may be history of a creature like Bigfoot passed down, but you didn't want to misinterpret the tales of others right. that was done. Um, and you're not a member of the tribe and you, or of a tribe, so you don't want to um, you know, basically step out and get something wrong. Um, with your interpretation, you tried to reach out to a tribe member to help you with a correct interpretation, but by the time the book was supposed to go to the print, um, unfortunately that hadn't happened, which is, you know, maybe hope for the, you know, when the second book comes yeah. out, maybe you'll be able to, you know, make that connection and we can do yeah, that. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will happen and, you know, and not just, you know, one person talking to me, but multiple people because, as with anything else, there are going to be multiple viewpoints mm-hmm. even within, you know, the tribal community because we have a number of tribal communities in Maine. They're not all, they're, you know, they may be connected and related, but they're not the same people. So so it's exciting to think that, you know, people might trust me enough to share their version of their experience and their uh, cultural understanding of what's going on out there mm-hmm. in the Maine woods. But you, uh, but you do have some historical tales in the book, um, from history, uh, all the way to you know, all the way up to 1950. Is there one you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, let me grab my. I have a copy of the book right here because I have my sample copies that arrived. It's very exciting. Um, yeah, there was one that. I mean, there's. There's a really great one that's, you know, obviously not a Bigfoot, but is definitely a primate in the Maine woods, which is the McHenry story, which is, you know, it's always a fun one. Um, But let me see if I can find uh, the one in particular that that really makes me want to know more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that would be, uh, let's see if I can find it. Um, flip through the pages here. Well, uh, there's another. There's actually another one too that I really want to know more about. Um, and those are there's a couple of different encounters of of lumbermen having very violent encounters with murderous something or other uh, way up in the woods. And those I feel like um, my natural tendency with historical stories is to try to find out the actual history behind <laughs> the stories because oftentimes you know, things get, uh, blown up yeah. to find them, to find their way into the press. Um, there's definitely a tradition of newspapermen and tall tale tellers in Maine who are willing to, you know, say really 
outrageous things just to get a story out there. So I'm I'm curious how what what originated those stories. Like those I'm still wanting to find out more about. Um but the uh I'm gonna try to find oh going to drive me crazy if I can't find it. Um, <laughs> there is a there is a story about berry pickers that encountered probably the closest thing to an actual Sasquatch story in that era of uh, you know 1890s. Um, oh, there it is. Okay, yeah. So August 1895, uh, a startling story appeared in the Bar Harbor Record, and they, uh, it's in, took place in South Gardner, and people had been being startled by what they called unearthly shrieks, and two women and three boys went into the woods for blueberries. A lot of these stories revolve around berry picking, <laughs> <laughs> um, and came upon a hairy monster which walked upright on its hind legs toward them. They were badly scared, but the animal, which looked like an immense African monkey, walked past them, leaving a footprint like a saucer. Wow. So that's one I still want to find out more about because that is, you know, clearly they're not talking about a bear. Everybody there would have known what a bear looked like at that point. Yeah. And they definitely drew a direct correlation to a large African monkey. So that one is probably out of all the historic stories that one is the most exciting to me and the one I want to know more about (laughs) yeah that would be very interesting to find out and so I mean if you could I'm guessing maybe you have a way you're relating to what you think Bigfoot might be if you had a guess do you think, you know, earlier, you know, I think we were off, we haven't started recording yet. You know, I know there's some people who think they're interdimensional travelers or um, something of that nature. Um, what do you think Bigfoot might be? Uh, well, you know, that's a good question. I'm, at least currently with this book, um, I'm approaching it as a biological creature mm-hmm. who, you know, is endemic in the United States because it doesn't care about state borders or country borders. Yeah. So, yeah, U.S., Canada, you know, it it's there, it travels, it does its thing, and it's been there for a very long time. Um, and so that's the viewpoint I'm operating from right now. Uh, I, I know I've talked to a lot of people who have their own theories about more esoteric or more uh, extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional origins um, and preternatural abilities that uh, they believe the creatures have. Um, and that's something that I haven't focused on, but I'm still interested in because it seems to be a current through people I've talked to, um, including some stories that weren't in the book. Uh, so, you know, I, I like to keep an open mind. And, you know, not rule things out just purely because I don't think it's likely. Uh, I'd I'd prefer to, you know, hear all the encounters and all the ideas. And as I experience things, you know, continue to evolve my viewpoint. So, 
you know, I have, I don't know if I will ever <laughs> decide that they are, you know, mm-hmm. very talented, you know, users of infrasound or the ability to cloak or any of that stuff that people have, you know, talked to me about. But, you know, I, I think it's an interesting part of the lore and I, you know, having not yet experienced anything myself, I don't feel like I'm in a position to make any judgments about any of that. So I'm hopeful that I will have more experience in the future. And I, you know, regardless, I even, even if it is just a biological animal of North America or uh, another species of North America, I find that fascinating in and of itself. So I figure it's a win-win situation <laughs> at yeah. this point for me. Yeah, I asked about the, you know, it keeps bring, coming back up the, you know, alien life form or dimensional thing because all of a sudden, you know, I always just thought like, you know, it was just, you know, I didn't think it was like a magical thing or anything. I just thought it was, a, you know, something that's biological you just don't see a lot. And then all of a sudden, like within the past year and then, when people found out I was interviewing you, they, you know, started ask people who, you know, are, you know, were really into Bigfoot started asking me and telling me about this again. And I was just like, where is all this all of a sudden coming from that is from Mars and can transport to Earth? What is what? You know? And I was like, you know what? The Mar- we have a rover on Mars and if we see a Bigfoot wall past the rover like the film from, you know, California, then we got something, I guess. I don't know. Um yeah. Although that would be more interesting than dirt on Mars, you know, I'm like, give you something on that. <laughs> I mean, it's great. We know I, I really am interested in like the rover on Mars. That's awesome. I mean, it would be more interesting mm-hmm. if a face, if a Facebook, if a Bigfoot walks past the camera. But um, yeah, I, all of a sudden that just came up. So I was like, I'm going to ask her about this. <laughs> I'm talking to her. You know, I don't know where that came from. I, I, I don't know yeah. if it's been around for a while, that theory or something, but. It's, uh, I think, at least the people I've talked to um, who are curious about that element of it, it's often to do with the fact that there are stories of finding um, a trailway, a trackway of footprints, and having it stop, disappear for no reason at all. Like, not in the woods or something where it's harder to track, Mm -hmm. something with a long stride, but in a place where it's very clear that it couldn't have gone anywhere else, um, like in the middle of a snowy field or something like that. Like that's, I think, part of the origin of some of that speculation because um, that does seem to happen. And, I mean, it could be something as simple as, you know, something going out and then walking backwards to cover its tracks. But, you know, there's, there's, there are enough examples of that that make people wonder. Um, and also their seeming ability to conceal themselves in such a short amount of time that they couldn't logically have made an escape, uh, according to, you know, the people who, you know, think they can imagine how fast something, how fast and silently something can move in the woods. Um, so that, again, it could be that they really are just fast and quiet and it's their terrain and they know yeah, and we have some big animals vanish. that can vanish really yeah. quick and that can yeah. move really fast and be almost undetectable. <laughs> but I think some people also can't see how that is possible, and so they 
you know, that's one of the speculations that gotcha. I think derives from that element of the of the accounts as well. All right. I was I was just curious because I started thinking like so the next logical thing is well they must have a transporter so I was just you know, what the hell we got today. <laughs> yeah, there's and the other thing that drives that sort of speculation is the fact that in some of the areas where these encounters are happening, there is also um, sometimes a coincidence of you know unidentified aerial phenomena happening where there's something else weird going on at the same time. And, you know, and there are, I don't know about Maine, but elsewhere. Oh, actually, no, I think there might be an account up by, uh, is it Logan Air Force Base, maybe? Um, Nomar Slevic, uh had it in one of his books, I believe, uh, where there was, there was coincidence of, in Maine, of sightings of a UFO or unidentified aerial phenomena and a large hairy creature. So there, that also feeds that speculation as well. So the coinciding, the timing and place of encounters of two, previously what people would have considered two very separate types of phenomena makes people question whether they are actually linked. So, All right, so you might have something with me there on that one, especially after... <laughs> You know, last year and more of these papers are coming out. And I get like anything can be in a, a UFO. I know that the military has a whole new fancy term they're trying to use for it, which I'm not going to go with. It's a UFO. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, we've called it UFOs for a long time. I'm sticking with UFOs. Um, the, but, you know, and then like in the middle of everything going on last summer, if you remember that, because everybody seems to forget about this, and everybody seems to have overlooked this, you know, where the there was a, a story in the New York Times, you know, the New York Times picked it up, yeah. Popular Mechanics picked it up, about, yeah. you know, hey, yeah, we've maybe re reverse engineered off-planet, um, you know, products, and I'm like, hey, what? And everybody just yeah. seemed not to pay attention <laughs> to it. You know, and I was just, we yep. were sitting outside and we were having dinner. I was reading this to my wife and L Lydia was just like, yeah, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Like, it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, we've got enough to worry about just yeah. here. That's, I'm yeah. like, wait, so it's, like it's, hey, we could all like stop, you know, fighting over masks and everything else. If we could, hey, this is what we need to focus on. I feel, I feel like, you know, if this would have happened like at any other point in time in our history, we would all be like, what? what is this? You, you know, this was the thing we were waiting for. This was the X-Files yeah. thing we were hoping to happen. Yeah. Disclosure. Disclosure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been, it's, it's, I'm sure it has really flummoxed the people who were hoping to make some headway, you know, and have made headway yeah. with that. But the momentum that they might've had, I think just kind of evaporated because yeah. people could only focus on so many big ideas and stresses at once <laughs> i just like I, I pictured like some man in like some kind of evil looking robe like deep in like the government vaults going now's the time release the files you know and they're like okay we'll do it and then like <laughs> that's that's what i pictured so yeah okay yeah now i can kind of see it has some footing you know I could, okay well I'll give her that one yes absolutely <laughs> i just yeah i don't know uh sorry went off on a little bit of a reddit all day everybody <laughs> Because I've been wanting to bring that up for a long time. I was like, and now here's my chance. So <laughs> it's a, it's crazy out there. But you know what? Also, it's fun. And it brings yeah. love you to everything, too. So you Yeah, gonna... we, live, we live in a very interesting universe if people just look outside of their day-to-day -day yeah. experiences. And apparently look up and be like, I knew it all along. 
<laughs> so you going uh you going hunting anytime soon? Uh, I don't know. I'm almost fully vaccinated. I'm very excited for that to happen. And then Correct. I think once that's done, and of course, you know, I'm also, I have my usual summer problem. Well, it's not a problem. It's it's a good thing um, of running my own shop and summer <laughs> being the busy season. Yeah. So, you know, I, so it's I'm a good thinking, problem. Hopefully it's really yeah, busy this yeah, year. It's, it pays the bills. So I got to keep doing that so I can do, you know, my historic and main research because that doesn't really pay <laughs> this is all just me being curious about things yeah. um but yeah so so i'm hoping if not during the summer after i'm vaccinated hopefully in the early fall before it gets too cold maybe after the bugs are gone yeah. i will be out there at least a few times and then probably after the snow starts flying too because i spent a good deal of time out in the woods in the colder weather as well with with friends um hiking around some various sites and checking them out. So the weather does, I tend to not let the weather stop me as much as possible. <laughs> we you, wear a lot of layers. Yeah. Do you call it what we call it down here? I know there's people who go Bigfoot hunting down here, have a certain name for it. Do you have that name up there? Uh, squatching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Squashing. I, just, I, you know, I tend to, you know, I, I tend to understate things. I tend to, you know, talk about going around, tromping around in the woods or hiking, you know, <laughs> but, you know, keeping my eye out while I'm there. So, but yeah, I do. I have, I have, um, there's a, there's a great group of people who are up in the Skowhegan area. Um, well, actually they're in a bunch of different areas, but the, one of the main folks in the organization is up in Skowhegan where things seem to be very active these days. Um, and the, it's the main Bigfoot Foundation, and they're I've been working with them, um, trying to help them out with different stuff and get the word out there. And so they're doing some expeditions. They've already got some planned, hopefully for this spring and summer. So hmm. hopefully I can get out there with them at least once because they have they've been working with um, some property holders that have cool. active sites that they want you know more information about. So so that's. A fun prospect. <laughs> that sounds really fun. Man, all right. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. All right, well, I've kept you a long time because we've had, I've had a really fun conversation. I was only going to keep you for maybe 20 minutes. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, hey, thanks for joining me, Michelle. I appreciate you. Oh, yeah. Thanks for uh, inviting the conversation. This is uh, it's a fun subject to talk about, and uh, especially with somebody who's curious about it. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you, the audience, for listening. Now, normally I would send you over to ArcadiaPublishing.com to pre-order the book, but why not go and visit GreenHandBookshop.com. That's Michelle's shop. And uh, go ahead and pre-order the book from there. And the book will be available for purchase wherever local books are sold beginning May 24th, 2021. And as always, thanks to Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. You can find them online on Facebook and on Instagram. If you have questions or show suggestions, reach out to me at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. Thanks, and I will talk with you again soon.